Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective. Truth changes everything. This Friday, we're going to have Leanna Ben talking to us about a book, Truth Changes Everything, by Dr. Jeff Myers, this Friday episode, after some inspiration from Shannon. Let's talk about the love of learning. When asked how he became a journalist, a man shared the story of his mother's dedication to his pursuit of education. While traveling on the subway each day, she collected newspapers left behind on seats and gave them to him. While he especially enjoyed reading about sports, the papers also introduced him to knowledge about the world, which ultimately opened his mind to a vast range of interests. Children are wired with natural curiosity and a love for learning, so introducing them to the scriptures at an early age is of great value. They become intrigued by God's extraordinary promises and exciting stories of biblical heroes. As their knowledge deepens, they can begin to comprehend the consequences of sin, their need for repentance, and the joy found in trusting God. The first chapter of Proverbs, for instance, is a great introduction to the benefits of wisdom. Nuggets of wisdom found here shine a light of understanding on real-life situations. Developing a love of learning, especially about spiritual truths, help us to grow stronger in our faith. And those who have walked in faith for decades can continue to pursue knowledge of God throughout their life. Proverbs 1.5 advises, let the wise listen and add to their learning. God will never stop teaching us if we're willing to open our heart and mind to his guidance and instruction. Father, please continue to open our hearts and our mind to grow in knowledge and wisdom as we read from the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we definitely need to seek wisdom and truth in education as the inspiration implied there or instructed us to do. Because today, I'm not sure so many people know how to recognize the truth. And the truth seemingly is harder and harder to find. But today we have an author that really took an entire book and decided he wanted to recognize truth, help people find truth. And so this is a book that our book reporter today wants to have everyone purchase it so that they have it. It's almost a reference tool. If you were to be engaged in government or politics or running a business or running an organization and you want to seek true foundations on making policies and decisions about life and people around you, your industry, whatever, the truth is important. If you make decisions based on lies, the outcomes aren't what you're going to hope for. The outcomes are going to be unknown because you made decisions based upon illogical or uh, narrative or just things that were not based in truth. So again, we have Leanna today with Truth Changes Everything by Dr. Jeff Myers. And the subtitle of that book, Truth, Truth Changes Everything, is how people of faith can transform the world in times of crises. It actually celebrates all the things that God seekers, uh, believers in the Old Testament and New Testament, as well as all the Judeo-Christian things, it celebrates well, f- Philosophers and scholars, all sorts of people, they they, they did all sorts of things. I mean, that's, and that's science too. The analysis of 
the environment, the things around you, uh, history, all the things that you can gather and research to come up with the truth. What is the truth about any topic? That's the whole purpose for research, right? And science and all these things, the, the philosophers and, and how you analyze that. You have to have a foundation of truth to find truth. And so this author talks a lot about that word truth. And he capitalizes it and he calls it capital T truth, which means that it can be known, it can be is objective, and it's real. Other authors trying to get us to the truth are Nancy Piercy uses total truth and Francis Schaeffer used true truth and Dallas Willard uses real truth. But what they're talking about is the truth that is founded and grounded and ultimately in Jesus Christ. And that's why it can stand the, the test of time when we want to do that, when we, when we want to seek it. This book has several chapters. And what's interesting about it is that we get to see what believers have done and what the believers have done in all these different aspects. So at the very beginning of talking about it, one of the ways that we have that we can seek truth is, this is a quote that says, give me the land where the giants still are. Caleb said, in essence, at age 85, every day for 45 years, Caleb honed his skills, telling himself God promised that the giants would fall, and fall they will, even if I'm an old man when it happens. Caleb never lost sight of God's promise, and he stood in the land of the giants. And and that's what we have to do is we have to have faith that the truth of Jesus Christ is going to have us be able to stand in the land. And so I'm going to try to do this by chapter if that works out. This is our first time of doing uh, well, our a book report. Are, well, it's the first time doing our, a book report, but our listeners are actually pretty used to us doing things by chapter and verse. And sometimes we repeat them over and over just so they recognize uh you know, like the things with the Constitution, they're labeled and they're in order for a reason. So what chapter are we looking at first? Now, this is a book you want everyone to probably not just own and reference, but but to read thoroughly. You're going to bring out some basic points of the book that you that were really relevant when you read it, right? Right. And um, I purchased several copies of this and have given it away. It's one of those books to give away to people that that you know are t- that are seekers. And so we're not getting any profit from this book and we're not wanting you to have enough of this book that you don't have to read it. But sometimes we don't have enough time to read all the books that we want to read. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, so it's a teaser to the truth changes everything. It is. Okay. All right. So, so, so chapter, chapter one. one talks about that T, what the definition is. And chapter two talks about even at the dawn of time, we've had Uh, the need to know truth. Chapter three, does truth matter? And truth matters in lots of ways. In the the ancients, the Greeks talked about truth, and their truths came from the Socratic method of questioning. And they believe that nothing exists. Even if something exists, nothing can be known about it. And even if something can be known about it, the knowledge can't be communicated to others. Even if it can be communicated, it cannot be under it cannot be understood. In other words, they were without basis, and those were the ancient Greeks. But that was not true when we get to the capital T. And so they didn't value truth. The Greeks said there was no truth. Then we have people who don't value truth. They used a little bit of truth as a window dressing. We have people. Well, I think that that's a, some of that was the basic uh, culture at the time didn't know how to value truth because their truth was created by 
despots, rulers that said, well, these are your gods. And they had all these gods and the, like, they don't even exist. We're, we're worshiping and analyzing fakeness. And so when you talked about the Socratic method, the method of Socrates, right? Right. So these are philosophers. They're trying to figure out what is the truth. We've been lied to by our powers that be for so long. Nobody knows the truth. So they don't know. If you don't know about it, you don't know to care about it. Right. right. And so some of the things that they, I mean, first of all, they, they didn't believe there could be a truth. Another aspect was that they didn't think it was of much value. And then they said that truth is in the eye of the beholder. And we hear that all the time, your truth, my truth, not the capital T truth. And then we have people that look at pragmatism as truth is whatever works. But oftentimes whatever works is in the short term. And so one of the quotes in this chapter three that, that they talk about is truth happens to an idea. One flaw in pragmatism is that it opens the door to propaganda. If truth is quote made true by events, close quote, then what is to stop crafty people with lots of money or influence from manipulating public perception to advance their viewpoint and squelch others? Have we not seen that today? Well, we've seen it in history, and I, and I think this book actually expands on that idea as well. And I know we're not going to cover all the aspects of the book, but obviously we, we hear from politicians and leaders that they're pragmatic and how good that is because they're collaborative and they want to talk to everybody and come up with consensus. And But that's not the truth. That's just what's convenient, whether it's politically or otherwise. That's just what's convenient. And a lot of times that convenience, that tolerance of all voices can actually bring you into places where you end up with a culture that accepts things like slavery, the things that put people into lesser categories and racism and cultural divides because it's what's convenient. That's kind of the narratives that's going on. So we'll just live with that because... We're pragmatic, and so that's not the truth. The truth is that uh, slavery is wrong. The truth is that just coming together and getting consensus by a certain group of people could be infringing on other people. Exactly. And this book, one of the things that it does throughout that we probably can't cover uh, in the radio is it talks about different short stories, or quips of stories that show how the Christian faith literally changed all of history. And sometimes we, we say, oh, you know, the Christians and the Crusades and all those bad things, and we hear that over and over in our culture. But in fact, we need to hold our head up high and pump out our chest and go, Christianity has changed the world in more positive ways than any other faith. And every chapter shows you how it does. And one of the first... Well, and, and the lie in that was that the Crusades were offensive and that they massacred people when actually the Crusades were a defensive tactic because you had rebels coming out of the uh, South to a lot of different nations in Europe, and they were massacring people, just uh, wantonly killing and murdering women, children, whole villages of people and farmers. And so the Crusades were a blockage to stop the massacres. And they were very limited compared to the massacres that happened by the, the, the Muslims that were trying to take over uh, northern parts of Europe. Yeah. Or up into the, nor moving north into Europe. Right. And even beyond Europe. And so the, this story that he, that he tells at the beginning is he talks about a Jesuit priest who was actually in China. This was in the 15, early 1500s. They were looking at doing a Chinese calendar 
And so all the advisors wanted a Chinese New Year and a Chinese calendar. And their leader died. And uh, there was an extraordinary meteor that was in the sky that also made it difficult that they wanted to blame on these Christians, these these um, these Jesuit astronomers. And the, the superstition saw these disasters as an ominous sign and said, wait, maybe we need to release these missionaries from prison because they'd all been uh, arrested. And on Christmas Day in the 1600s, they came out and said, the emperor will hear the emperor's edict, and he commanded it in Mandarin. And then he said, these people that are Christian astronomers that are, have been seeking God have the correct answer for the calendar, and the calendar was changed to be used worldwide based on the astronomy that Christians who sought to address the universe. Wow, that's incredible. And so that's how we ended up with the calendar that we currently have. Exactly. And that's a Gregorian calendar. Yes. Uh, Tim, you will love this because this talks about, in this next chapter, it talks about how do, we know, how do we know that truth? And it says why Jesus is the truth, and it is revolutionary, and Jesus was revolutionary. And so I, I just have a, a little bit of what he says in here. It says, how might the world's story have turned out differently had the Romans not been so cruel? If they hadn't egged on Jesus' enemies, the Roman soldiers killed him on a criminal's cross. Crucifixion was a, fi- a fire and forget kind of torture, just nail them up there and let them torment themselves to death. However, they didn't do that with Jesus. And yet Jesus rose above it, literally in what historians say is verifiable ancient history fact. He was alive three days after his death, and they couldn't stop talking about it. And many of them eventually had to be killed because they were so noisy about it. Amazingly, Jesus' followers did not hold a grudge. And this is where Christianity has turned the world upside down in all the ways that humans and all the previous leadership would have gone. Jesus' followers didn't hold a grudge. This guy didn't see himself as a victim, Jesus, and neither would they. Jesus had told them that he was giving up his own life out of love. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. And that's in John uh, 15, 13. And that was what Jesus said. So some revolutionaries call their followers to vengeance. Jesus was a more dangerous sort of revolutionary. He called his followers not to defeat their enemies militarily, but to win them through love. Instead of ignoring their opponents or trying to shut them up or hang them, it, it's to shut them up was to hang out with them. In time, Christians believe many more will become raving fans of Jesus Christ if they do that. Yeah, I do love that. And I think it's it's kind of interesting that the cross was used back in Jesus' time as basically how you know social media banning is used today. Uh, unfortunately, the or I guess for us, fortunately, the Romans couldn't just ban him on social media and squelch his voice because he went out and met the masses and taught them the truth. Anyhow, Leanna is now going to tell us a little bit more about the book. All right. Well, the reason that Jesus was so dangerous in his revolutionary ideas was that he taught everybody that human life was valuable. 
And when you teach that every human life is of value, you can't treat them the way that many of the despots were treating people. And so, one of them, again, I'm quoting from this book, it says, a biblical view holds that human life is sacred. Humans are made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Human value is established before birth, Psalm 139. Taking human life is wrong, Exodus 20. The Bible seems to teach that while humans sin, and that's a curse, humanity itself is a blessing. Humans are of different order, not just different by degree than non-human animals. We have a higher purpose, and our purpose is to love and to serve others. Now, that turns that total thing upside down of how to have power and control, and that's why Christians are dangerous, because they can't figure out why we're doing what we're doing. Well, and that, that's really the goal of Marxism, is to uh, get rid of the belief in any religious system and just have belief in the state, because having a higher power is something that any despot or a ruler, dictator, individual or group of individuals like the World Economic Forum that would like to plan out our entire existence, God already has a plan for that and Christians just don't buy into their propaganda. The other reason that in this chapter of how Jesus' followers have changed how we value human life talks about we have rights. Well, if every, if every human being is valuable, then every human being has rights, and those rights don't come from other people. Those rights come from God himself. Well, that's a truth they surely don't like in our Constitution these days. And We're in so, the state of Washington. And so from the very first pages of the Bible, we find that the purpose of a, of a person is, is to have a soul, and that an unborn child or a profoundly in, disabled individual or a person animating spirit is fully actualized. So it says the case for the soul unfolds in the law of Moses. So we're looking even back at the Old Testament. When the children of Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, the surrounding world was a horrifying place. And this is a direct quote from the book. Baby killing was common. Humans were sacrificed to the gods, small g. Slavery was accepted as a social good. The devaluing of women and children were culturally acceptable, but Mosaic Law was a breakthrough for how societies should treat people and wisely govern themselves. That was a, a huge turnaround in history, was the Mosaic Law. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me of an article I actually just saw this last week. I saw an article, I think it was even in the local newspaper. It was obviously they were just using it from some national news source. Women in Iran showing their hair. That made news. Women in Iran showed their hair, you know, because they got desperate leaders that are obviously like in the medieval times, they mistreated women and children and uh, people of different cultures and backgrounds because they didn't have those human rights that we now have uh, given from God in our constitution. And the end of that chapter, and at the end of every chapter, which is the reason that I just dearly love this book and want other people to get it is that they have a, a section at the end of each topic what should we do now and there are different things and they don't mean you have to vote republican or democrat not that kind of stuff they're they're saying what can i do personally in my own prayer life and in my own responding to neighbors and 
many of the things that, you know, if I were to lump it all together, many of the things are, how do we love each other? Really, really love them. Here's just a a quick summary of what he says we can do just in the life issue, because we always, you know, Christians are always, well, we're anti-abortion. Well, now, let's look at the fact that we are really pro-life. And it, and it says just there's more to it, um, so get the book. But it says one of the things we can do is act as if every human possesses inherent value. That means no put-downs. Live as if every human being has purpose and find your own first. Um, and then promote the kind of community that recognizes God as being there. Those are simple things, but they're attitudes, they're biblical worldviews that change the world and change what we do. In chapter 6, how Jesus' followers have changed how we care for one another, they start out with a Carrie Nation. And Carrie Nation was a woman who took a hatchet to many bars, taverns, um, in in the 1800s because the amount of drunkenness out there was so bad and it was harming so many families that that was her way. And ultimately, there was a political movement that happened after that. Yeah, that led to prohibition. Prohibition. Christianity impacted more than just what we could think of as morality issues. Christianity has motivated and talked about charity, which is pretty great in here. And they advanced the concept of charity, not just taking control of people. It says, why would early Christians, and and this is where people can't understand what's going on, and they think that that when Christians are doing something, it must be because they want some kind of greed of power or money or control or something. It's a tax write-off. Right. But that's not really how Christians think if they have a biblical worldview. So they ask the question, why would early Christians risk societal shaming and their own well-being to care for other people, which they did. They cared for people that were orphans, people that were infirm. So why would they do that? And people laughed at them. And it says, because they were convinced that Jesus had commanded them to love their neighbors, Mark 12, and care for the sick in Matthew 25. If Jesus told them to do it, then they would watch over, and he he would watch over them in the process. And if they died in the commission of doing good, Jesus would take care of them in the life to come. Not fearing death, they were free to live. And I know in my own life that that is true. You can go wherever you need to go because you know that regardless of what happens, God is taking care of you. And it made them not only free, but courageous. And they could go places and do things that nobody else um, could could seem to do. Well, it seems to be one of the truths that's been taken away from the church today is a lot of that charity because the government has taken over so many roles that the church used to do that the church struggles to find purpose. And so the truth about the church was actually to do Jesus's work and Jesus's work was caring for the sick, caring for the ill. Uh, he didn't hang out with the, the people that were in the ivory towers. He hung out with the beggars and the prostitutes and today's I guess drug addicts, you know. They, but so he, but he, he also he, he had rules and regulations, basically, in truth, that he told his disciples about how we were supposed to act in these situations. But he also created things like nurses and doctors and uh, people that helped 
uh, create justice systems. So and education, he, he, teach a man to fish, right? Right, and he created that. He created that whole system. So then the next section that they talk about in the book is how Jesus' followers advanced the study of medicine. So why did Christians care so much about serving the poor and sick? Quite simply, charitable acts were a way to imitate Jesus. So any act of charity we have is imitating Jesus. Which sometimes we say, well, you know, how do I do what God wants me to do? Be kind to others. I mean, it's... Do unto others as you would have want done unto you. Yeah. And then they also advanced things in society. It was Christians that, that, that changed how we treat people in prisons and how we address mental health issues. And one of the, uh, the quotes in here of how Jesus' followers advanced societal and mental well-being says, addiction also has spiritual complications as people try to escape the pain of their lives. Addiction specialist uh, William White says, quote, addiction becomes one's religion, drugs become one's God, and the rich of use become one's right of worship. And in a study of faith of 23-somethings, sociologists found that although young people can and do return to faith from just about every circumstance, drug and alcohol addiction is one behavior that more often leads them to a lifetime of diminished religiosity. So when we say we need to address the addiction issue, we need to do it for spiritual reasons as well as financial and health reasons. And the other part of talking about charity, I thought the research that this book talked about is just one more reason why we can hold our heads up as Christians. And, And it says, while governments give aid to secure loyal allies, religious groups give aid out of compassion. These are some eye-opening statistics that come from the Philanthropy Roundtable. And I'll just read these four bullets real quick. U.S. voluntary giving to overseas poor now totals $44 billion annually. United States government distributes $33 billion. Uh, Religious Americans adopt children at two and a half times the overall national rate. Local church congregations provide most of the day-to-day help that resettles refugees and asylum seekers arriving in the United States. And the last one is the bulk of volunteers mentoring prisoners and their families are Christians. Sounds like the Good Samaritans. It is the Good Samaritan. Or the the Good Gentiles, I guess, you you could say. So we have Christians that have done the most amount of education, work with children, charity, foster parenting. And so we should really lift up that religion as being probably the most charitable entity, if you will, or a group of people in world history. Well, one thing I know from working within or at the federal government issues is that there is no way that the federal government can take on all of the projects that Christianity does in our communities, the government would collapse if they had to do all the things that that churches are doing. Uh, The next chapter, if we're ready for that one, is talking about how the followers of Christ have changed how we learn and how we grow. Much of education theory is based on how Scripture is is taught and, uh, and how we learn to do things. We know that the readers, children learned to read and were told to read because they needed them to read the Bible. And that was, that was a textbook at the beginning of the United States. The Greek word for teaching truth meant reality. 
that it was reality. We have a lot of kids that don't know what reality is right now, but we know reality through Jesus because he, he sets us free to live a different kind of life that is not run by other people's reality. We have, we have reality. And learning is more than just gathering facts. True learners grow in their ability to dialogue, to reason, and to point others to the truth. So learning and I love this quote, learning is a way of loving our neighbor. Who are you helping to learn today? How are you helping young people get more information and and truth? And so what we think of as education today flowered in the late Middle Ages after the Black Death. And I'm hoping that we'll consider COVID as another point of departure from where we, the trajectory that we're on, because the black, the middle ages, the black death changed the direction of how education went and the importance of it, not only in medicine, but also in social issues. And I hope that this is a change for us as well. Well, and in government policy, I mean, the black death, we consider COVID the black death. The other thing we could consider the black death is, well, black tar heroin, uh, heroin in general, fentanyl, because over the last several years, I think we've had more deaths now related to drug abuse. If you talk about all the crime, the murdering and the violence, uh, because we have bad education. We don't have parents involved in education of their children. The upbringing of children has changed. Our culture around family has changed. And a lot of the change that we've seen that is so negative in our world is because of the lack of truth, the lack of the foundations of truth. And so this book by Dr. Jeff Myers, Truth Changes Everything, it really does change everything if we're basing our foundations, our beliefs, our assumptions off of narratives or just plain lies. I mean, at this point in time, we're looking at a, a presidential administration and a media, media over probably not my whole lifetime, especially in the last 10 years, I can't trust anything that the media puts out. You have to wait until more investigation because they have to correct themselves all the time, but they don't correct it in a way that says, now here's the truth. We made a mistake. They just report the next narrative that now actually it's, it's kind of like Dr. Fauci this last week. I saw another article that says, yeah, these vaccines aren't very effective for viruses like flus and COVID. Well, he knew that already. He was just lying to us for profit of industry. And so we see this corruption and this corruption is based. Up, it's, it's a lie. Corruption is a lie. When you cook the books to steal from people, when you create narratives to force people to do things, it is a lie that you're perpetrating on people wanting them to accept as the truth. And so the truth does change everything, folks. We don't have enough time to get through the rest of the book tonight, Leanna. So you're going to have to come back for another Friday episode. So folks, next Friday, if you want to hear more about the truth, we're going to be covering it. The tr truth part two? The truth part two. Truth. The, the truth continues. The truth continues. So we'll be back next Friday with Leanna and Truth Changes Everything by Dr. Jeff Myers because it really does today's culture is not in trouble just because of the powers and principalities and the evil rulers in the land. It's also because the people that are in the land don't know the truth. It's our job to spread it. So we'll be back next Friday to do some more. Bye-bye. <laughs>